0: Hey everyone, it's Raheel. Another Friday, another chance to recap some of the biggest stories of the week. Could we see a new Ike Dyke design in the future? Also, we might be one step closer to new state parks in our area. And an alarming trend that's impacting Houston youth. Political contributor and Pulitzer Prize finalist Evan Mintz and writer and contributor Shiam Galyan join me to break it all down it's April 28th I'm Rahil Ramson Ali and here's what Houston's talking about happy Friday Evan sheam how are y'all Evan how you doing I'm doing great enjoying all of this rain yep absolutely hey again the plants are getting free water we can't complain about that sheam mm-hmm. how are you
1: you know we got a lot of rain in Sugarland last night and um that's can only be grateful for that. I didn't have to water my plants this morning.
0: I love that. I love that. So let's jump right into it. We have a lot to talk about. As always, biggest story of the week, most overlooked story of the week, and of course, our moment of joy. We can leave with a little happy note here on CityCast Houston. Let's start it off, ladies first. Shi'em, what was your biggest story of the week?
1: Oh man, okay, so the Environmental Protective Protection Agency is gonna start testing for toxic chemicals in the Fifth Ward this summer. And this week, residents in Fifth Ward, along with uh, at-large council member Letitia Plummer, organized a summit on what they call the Cancer Cluster Summit. Uh, So residents representatives and experts in the medical field came together for a two-day summit to discuss basically like contaminants in the soil and it's you know public health and cancer and environmental health all together the environmental protection agency is going to be testing soil groundwater and air for different types of contaminants including dioxins creosote pcp and PAHs. I was like, what's a creosote? Creosote is a it's like a mixture of like different oils used to treat wood, wood that's like on the train tracks. So basically, this all has to do with like the railroad that's going through Fifth Ward. Raheel, did you hear about this? Evan, did you hear about this?
2: I did. Yeah. I'm just gonna say it's been an issue for a long time. And the reporting on the cancer clusters around it have been incredible. A lot of the industry claims that, well, the creosote, it doesn't spread. It just stays right there. But maybe if you have it in place when it rains, when it storms, year after year after year, things happen that you don't see in a laboratory setting.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And honestly, with the downpour that we saw this weekend, uh, the soil in my garden got pushed around like under my car outside of the bed. So I'm really glad that there's going to be testing happening. I'm glad that representatives are on top of this. I'm glad that the EPA is on top of this and I think it's gonna take as much attention as possible to keep this on people's minds
0: yeah and the biggest thing you know after the testing I hope there's accountability I hope there's some there's solutions as well to help out the residents and prevent this like why is this happening still and that's my thing. like what is the accountability gonna look like
1: that's a good question I'm gonna be following this um, Evan, where have you, you said this reporting has been happening for years. Where do you see this reported on? Um, Houston uh, Public Matters has been my go-to for this kind of stuff.
0: Oh, the Houston Chronicle has had great reporting on it too. Cool. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that story. That's something that we'll be following along and uh, hoping for the best and hoping for solutions as well for all the residents. Evan, what was your biggest story? My biggest story this week was reporting by Jen
2: Rice of the Houston Chronicle, and Andrew Schneider at Houston Public Media on the 2022 elections. They've looked at the data, they've interviewed individuals, and they've been using this excellent reporting to debunk false and conspiratorial claims about the election. Now, some Republicans have been spreading this statistic that was first elevated by Channel 11 News, that 121 voting locations ran out of paper on Election Day in 2022. But when you look at the actual stats, you see that one, Only 20 locations had signs of an actual paper shortage, and some only had gaps in voting for 15 minutes, some up to three hours. But there is still no evidence that any one person, let alone the tens of thousands of people necessary to change election results, were prevented from voting. And especially given you can vote at any one location anywhere in the county on election day. Now this doesn't mean there weren't problems and Houston Public Media's reporting has done a great job of showing how qualified people at the county level were fired, how trainings were poorly run and how some places did run out of paper or were open late. But what's happening is that this false information about how bad things were is being used to push lawsuits to try to overturn the election and push legislation that will allow the state to take over local elections get rid of Harris County's election administrator, create state election police who have the power to intervene and even make arrests or even ban countywide voting locations, the very thing that saved voters who might have had to uh, wait for hours if their location ran out of paper. And the Dallas Morning News had an excellent editorial on this point just this week. But the sad reality is that our democracy is under attack. The weapon is lies and our free press are
0: rising to our defense. So, Evan, what do you think happens with all of this reporting, with all of the actual facts now coming out? Will there be, again, accountability or is this just going to be one of those things we always have to bring up? Like, actually, no, the, the facts are this. What happens here? Well, I think the
2: solid reporting we're seeing is doing a good job of focusing where the effort should go. If you really want to address some of the problems that happened on Election Day, because it was a cluster. There was a problem. People should be held accountable, but overturning elections, that's preposterous. What you really want to see is the state legislature having hearings and dedicating resources so that the county will not have the gaps, so that they'll make sure that they have the people on hand and the resources on hand to run an election smoothly. But instead, what we're seeing is the state trying to come down and to punish people who shouldn't be punished, to go after policies that are actually helpful and generally take any power away from Harris
1: County.
0: Oh, man, this is going to be interesting to watch, especially in this election cycle.
1: Do you guys, is this considered overreach? Is this like a pattern of overreach? Oh,
2: absolutely. This is total state overreach. The idea that the Texas Republican Party really believes in small government and uh, local authority has been gone for years. The real hope is that the House Will stand up for local authority will block some of the worst bills that have already passed out of the Senate and at least try to lay a standard so that you don't have free willing state level authority to take over local elections.
0: You know, for me, the accountability aspect of all this is, yes, we can bring this up with lawmakers, we can bring this up in hearings, and we can correct everyone, but then nothing ever gets done and people still run with it. I guess it's going to take a massive lawsuit. I I don't know. It it just seems like nothing ever changes. When one piece of false information hits, it's now over. Like You can never go back and, and turn people to the actual facts. You
2: know, I really think and this doesn't necessarily make you feel good about it, but the county needs to step up and make sure that their elections are run incredibly smoothly because the smallest error is going to be seized upon. Yeah. There is no room for
0: mistakes. Everyone is on you. All right. My biggest story of the week Okay, this is a personal story for me, right? I I have a seven-month-old living in our house, and we're fortunate enough in our household where my wife and I can afford childcare, and we can send our daughter to daycare, and we've sent our oldest daughter to daycare as well, and we can find childcare, but so many Houstonians and so many Texans can't find that and uh, this week more than 30 groups are now asking lawmakers on the state level to do something about this. There are 27% fewer programs operating in the state since 2020. There is a massive funding cut that's about to happen when federal pandemic relief funding expires next year. There's going to be a major hole in child care and for parents who are just trying to provide for their families and trying to make it, they can't put their kids and child care at affordable rates, it's going to be a disaster. And I really hope something gets done here. over I am absolutely there with you as, as a parent of
2: two kids. You know, we're lucky that we have family in town who can help out with child care. We're lucky that we have the resources to send our kids to preschool. But I know that there are millions of families out there who work day in, day out as hard as they can. And just child care is so expensive. It's never enough.
1: You know, I don't actually have kids, but I am incredibly pro choice, whether it's you choosing not to have a family or you're choosing to have a family. And childcare is top, I would say, human rights issue in the United States. Um, if you're pro family, you have to be pro childcare and making childcare affordable and accessible to everyone.
0: That's such a good point, because a lot of people don't understand if you have two working parents or a single parent that is working a nine to five, where do you put that child right? to be able to provide for your family? And then that's where that cycle of poverty sometimes starts is, is where you go, oh, what? where do I put my child? I can't put my child. There. I have to stay at home because I can't. Afford childcare. So, what do I do now? You know, and I know so many families where if a child, let's say, has an early dismissal at school, it turns into a whole thing with work because there's nowhere to put that child during the day. And I can't even imagine with a toddler, with uh, a a pre K age child, it's just so much. And families need this relief. And I hope, I hope something gets done. All right, your most overlooked story. Shiam, what do you have for us?
1: So, my most overlooked story is COVID-19. It is still going on. Um, It's kind of confusing to talk about only because so many like healthcare institutions, like the, the data collection has stopped. So having like a shared language about how to talk about it is not the same as it was during like the early part of the pandemic. In fact, it, a lot of people, myself included, with a question mark, talk about COVID in the past tense. Um, and in the Houston Chronicle, there was an interview with Dr. Peter Hotez, who's the co-director of the Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development, and the Dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine. And uh, they did an interview with him. And here's the top highlights. There's a new variant from India, the XBB.1.16. One of the new symptoms is an ocular itch. So you're like itchy eyes. And the main points is that you, like if you got the bivalent booster, if you've been boosted all your boosters, it might be time you should get another booster. Um, The healthcare community needs to figure out a vaccine booster schedule and long term you know it seems like there's a new coronavirus every so years and we're probably going to get another new one around 2030 Uh, so long term is like getting used to figuring out like schedules around these things but yeah my most underlooked story is that we all need new vaccine shots.
0: Yeah, got to get your boosters up. And it's funny, my, you know, I was bringing up my youngest daughter and she's seven months old. So she's in daycare and there was a COVID outbreak in her class. So we took her to the pediatrician and do you like it now? Everyone just follows the CDC guidelines. Like, look, she'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, quarantine if she has symptoms, it's no big deal. Everyone's so relaxed about it now. And as a parent, you're like, uh, actually, <laughs> like, I'm very worried. This is a seven month old. So, uh, yeah, the attitude on it has definitely changed. And I'm um, there'll be new variants, and we'll have to just kind of be ready for it and counter it,
1: man. I Everyone that I talk to, when I get people visiting from other parts of the country, that's kind of one of the first things that comes up is like, oh, you guys are still masking? Oh, uh, we're not, as you can see, we're not really masking as much here. And uh, I feel you on that, um, Raheel. And how's your daughter doing?
0: She's doing fine. Yeah. She's doing fine. A bunch of kids tested positive and they're all doing fine too. It's, you know, you almost have to trust the science, right? You just, you go, all right, look, if, if a toddler does get it or an infant gets it more than likely it won't impact them. Just keep, you know, keep an eye on them, make sure everything is good. And you just hope for the best, but for again, for everyone in that little room, they're all good now. That's good. I'm just sitting here waiting for scientists to
2: perfect that nasal vaccine. You spray it up your nose so that the antibodies get up there where the virus apparently hangs out. And uh, the problem that we've got is the shots we have now, at least this is what I've read, is that it could protect you. It doesn't necessarily prevent the spread. But if you can get up in the sinus cavities where the spread really starts, then that can really stop the spread of the virus and really crush the numbers in ways that we
0: haven't seen yet. Yeah, we'll see if that comes out pretty soon and what the future holds. Evan, how about you? What was your most overlooked story? The most overlooked story for me
2: this week was that the Ike Dyke is in the news again. All right. Now, For those who don't know, the Ike Dyke is a proposal for a massive system of dune barriers and a seagate between Galveston and Boulevard to protect Galveston Bay and the Houston Ship Channel from a hurricane driven storm surge. The worry is that a hurricane driving a wall of water right up that important trade avenue will smash into all of the petrochemical facilities we have, leading to a spill 10 times bigger than the Exxon Valdez mm. and right in the middle of the Houston region. So, what's going on right now? Well, the Houston Public Media's Katie Watkins has reported that the state budget is going to allocate about half a billion dollars to the Gulf Coast Protection District, a state entity set up to help build the Ike Eichdorff. And Congressman Randy Weber is asking for $100 million at the federal level. Now, it still leaves about $29 billion left for funding, but it's a start. But at the same time, Jake Biddle at Grist is reporting that the design that the Army Corps of Engineers is working on won't be robust enough to protect from the biggest storms. And that is absolutely a legitimate concern. Now, this week, I was talking to Bill Merrill, the Texas A&M professor behind the Ike Dike, and former Galveston mayor Louis Rosen, who's a big Ike Dike fan, who have also pointed out that the current design the Army Corps is working with interferes with shipping traffic, which is the whole thing that the Ike Dike is set up to protect in the first place. It's good that it's moving forward. It's great that it's starting to get funding, but we need to get the
0: design right. And I think that aspect of the story is going missed. And Evan, what about the environmental studies that need to come with the Ike Dike, right? Because you are building on two separate sides. You've got so much um, silt and dirt and, uh, I mean, just building inside the water as well. What about the environmental studies? Have we already done those? Are we gonna have to do those again with the new design? Because the design is so massive, they're kind of doing environmental
2: studies step by step rather than all at once, Mm. which means that you can move through it quicker, which is probably good. But also that you might be missing something. And there are a lot of big concerns. How would a gate adjust salinity levels in the bay? How would it prevent animals from migrating back and forth? How would the color of the sand affect the eggs of sea turtles that lay their eggs there? That's a concern. There's so many different things going on. But what I keep arguing is that the thing that the Eich is set up to prevent is the biggest petrochemical oil spill we have ever seen. The biggest environmental disaster that we have ever seen. So all of this is aimed at an environmental goal, but we have to make sure that the uh, solution isn't worse
0: than the problem. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, my most overlooked story, and I want to bring this up, we've all seen it. They're everywhere, no matter where you look. Everyone's vaping and everyone's using e-cigarettes, right? Well, Help Advisor analyze CDC data recorded for the last five years. And guess what? Right here in Houston and in Texas, we are really bad not only using it, but also amongst a very important group, 18 to 24-year-olds. Guess what? The vaping rates amongst this age group increased by 155% from 2015 to 2021. And only six states showed a higher rate of increase. Uh, Alaska was number one, Arizona, North North Carolina, Tennessee, South Carolina, and Kentucky. So um, there's there's a lot going on here. The rates are extremely high. And we haven't even looked at the last two years. This data was until 2021. But I think this also just matches everything we see there are a lot of kids vaping and using e-cigarettes and we know about the studies it's not good for them and here's hoping that somehow some way this trend goes down shiam let's get your moment of joy please
1: well my moment of joy is happening later today at basket books the radius of Arab American writers is hosting a poetry reading and I'm actually going to be one of the people reading. I do write poetry, but in private, but they're letting me read this like creative piece that I had published. And I'm really excited to meet folks, um, who are writers and love to read poetry and prose. And I'm just super excited. This is my first time at basket books.
0: Awesome. That's so cool. Good luck today. Thanks. That's so much fun. Evan, how about you? What's your uh, moment of joy?
2: So the moment of joy was me reading a story in the Dallas Morning News this week about Doug Deason and Luke Metzger teaming up to expand state parks in Texas. Now, for those who don't know, Decent is a pro-Trump conservative activist and billionaire with some idiosyncratic policy positions. He's a big advocate for criminal justice reform, and he's also a big advocate for expanding state parks. And Luke Metzger has been a long time environmental activist in the state. Now, they are convincing the legislature to dedicate one billion dollars of the budget to a new fund to help buy up land for future parks. And the real hope is that that $1 billion will be able to attract around $5 billion in private and federal dollars, enough to buy the 1.4 million acres that the state has estimated they need to meet demand because people love going to state parks. And if you look at a map of Texas, you might wonder, we've got a lot of land here, but we don't have a lot of National parks, we've got Big Bend, but if you look at Colorado or New Mexico or Arizona or other places throughout the Southwest, like you have all these incredible parks, why not Texas? Well, that question was answered in this month's edition of Texas Monthly, where Rose Callahan explained that when Texas was becoming a state, we had a ton of debt. And so we had asked the federal government to forgive our debts that Texas had racked up as an independent country in exchange for uh, maybe taking on a bunch of our lands. Uh, It'd be a nice exchange, but Congress said no. So Texas was forced to sell all of those publicly held lands to pay our debts, and here we are today with not a lot of parks. So I'm really looking forward to this team up, I'm really looking forward to getting new parks. Hopefully, maybe in the Katy Prairie, maybe something uniting all of those hill country parks into one big park, maybe more of our coast, but just a place where you can go and enjoy Texas without it being turned into a strip mall or
0: freeway or or anything else. I like that. I'm all about state parks. I'm all about national parks. The more parks, the better. And I love that. I love that. So my moment of joy, my grandfather who lives in Pakistan is coming here to Houston for the first time in almost 15 years. So I get a chance to hang out with him. And he's actually been in the States now for about three weeks, but he's finally making his way down to Houston to see his daughter, who's my mom, Ruby. So I'm going to get to hang out with him and he's going to get a chance to meet his great grandkids. Uh, He's met my oldest daughter, but he gets a chance to meet my youngest one as well. So I can't wait. And this is going to be a good, good moment of joy for me. Oh, that sounds really sweet.
1: That's so awesome.
0: So where are you taking him? Oh, he's been going everywhere already. Um, so I'm going to be taking him all around Houston, wherever he wants to go. He's he's close to 100 years old now. So, Whoa. yeah, and he's still walking around, still living life. So, you know, I, I count my blessings that I get to spend some time with him.
1: That's wonderful. I hope you guys have a great time together.
0: Thank you so much. And thank you both for joining us today. It was a lot of fun. We learned a lot and we talked about the biggest stories, the most overlooked and of course our moments of joy. So thank you, Evan. Thank you, Shiam. And we'll talk to you here in a couple of weeks.
1: Sounds great. See you guys.
0: Talk to you later. That was Evan Mintz and Shiam Galleon. You can follow them on Twitter with the links in our show notes. Do you want more news and events in your inbox every morning? Subscribe to our newsletter, hey Houston, at houston.citycast.fm. That's all for this week on CityCast Houston. Our lead producer is Dina Kespa. Our producer is Carleon Jones. And our newsletter editor is Brooke Lewis. And the host is me, Raheel Ramsnali. We also had help this week from producer Elizabeth Kama and technical director Noah Snyderman. Our music is by the band All The Kimotos. We'll be back on Monday with a look at why so many bike sharing stations are closing. Thank you for listening. And I hope you learned something new.
1: Yeah. Y'all are so much fun. Um, thank you so much. Raheel. Just, I love how you host the space and Evan, you totally earned those nerd glasses that you wear. Um, and, and you and I, you and I are doing, you sort know, of I need
2: them to see. Oh
1: yeah. Oh, they're not just aesthetic. Okay.
2: <laughs> no, like I'm blind without these.